Now it's time for the Disney View Podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his Grand Circle Tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all, but understands Disney's place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. Come along and hear Dave's thoughts about Walt Disney World and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, mantenganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. Well, it's been a while since the last time I offered to answer questions on a podcast. I do, of course, answer questions if you email me at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. I'm happy to answer any questions you might have about your Disney experience, Disney planning, anything else. But every once in a while, I like to put together a podcast that... Uh, brings together some of those questions, some of the common themes, some of the more interesting questions that I'm happy to answer. And I like to publicly kind of put them out there so you have some answers too. So I'd like to take you through a couple of the questions I've gotten recently. One of them was, I've been hearing about Club 33 coming to Disney World. What is that and what's it all about? And this question comes from someone named Thomas. Well, interesting question. Club 33 was something that Walt Disney himself started back when he opened Disneyland. It was a way to connect with other people who were like-minded, who uh, he would consider friends as a kind of a private and exclusive club. And what he did was he had a place there in Disneyland, uh, or I think it was over by the Pirates of the Caribbean, if I'm not mistaken, where they had a private club and you could go up there and you could meet and you could have dinner and kind of hang out. He would often appear there, other people would go in, uh, so sort of an exclusive club, so it cost a little something to get in, and it was by invitation only, and it was supposed 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 to be about friends and so forth. But uh, it actually uh, it actually grew into something a little bit more after Walt's death, and it became a, a still an exclusive club, but a little bit different in the nature of it. Um, so as far as the story Club Thirty Three, there's two explanations as to why it's called Club Thirty Three. The first states that Club Thirty Three got its name solely from the address of Thirty Three Royal Street in New Orleans Square in Disneyland. But there's another explanation that says there were 33 corporate sponsors at Disneyland between 1966 and 67 when the club was being built and opened. Now, when Walt was around, it wasn't called Club 33. He just had an exclusive club. Disney decided to expand on the idea in 1966, around the time of Walt's death, to actually kind of build an, build it and have an identity that expanded Walt's reach, you know, sort of the, the connection to Walt, and some, Walt Disney in some way. So it's really just an exclusive club where you can go and you can have dinner, fine dining, wine. Um, I think in the past they probably had cigars up in the uh, Disneyland version, but uh, that's changed over time. Uh, so it's, you know, now, it's, now that there's no smoking uh, in any of the parks, it's kind of changed a little bit. But anyway, the idea was they're expanding it out. You're starting to see Club 33 show up in some of the other parks internationally, and now they're building them in all four parks in uh, the Walt Disney World Resort. So they're actually going, there's going to be a Club 33 at what was the Catwalk Bar over in the uh, Hollywood Studios. That's over near, uh, which one is that near? I think, I think it's actually near where the uh, Hollywood Brown Derby is. I can't remember if it's behind there, or, or, but it's near there anyway. Uh, so it'll be in that spot. Over at the Epcot Center, it'll be actually in the American Adventure in the upstairs lounge area. So I guess they won't be using that to host any more food and wine festival events. In the Magic Kingdom, it's going to actually be in the Adventureland veranda. And then over in 
the Animal Kingdom. It's in a back part of the uh, Tiffin's uh, restaurant that's there. So you actually cross through the restaurant to get to it. And it's, an, it's still an exclusive club. That's the thing about it. It's, uh, it's a membership-based club that gives you something special in return, but it's fairly cost prohibitive. The joining price, the ask just to get into it is $33,000 to get into it. And then there's an annual membership of $15,000 on top of that. Gives you access to any of the clubs worldwide. Now for this price, it also includes a premier passport for yourself, your spouse, and any children under 26 years old. You also get 50 one-day park hopper passes, concierge surface, limited fast pass plus that are instant fast pass pluses, and a few other amenities that are that are kind of tied in there. So is it worth it for the ask price of $48,000? That's really for you to decide. Uh, I think it's cost prohibitive and not that interesting. Look, the original Club 33 at Disneyland had a direct connection to Walt because it was, you know, it had some of Walt's furnitures and some things that were there and it connected to Walt in some way. And I think he actually did visit the original property that they had just before they, they finished out the club and called it Club 33. But, uh, the rest of the parks don't have that same connection. Yes, it's an exclusive club, and yes, you can get dining and take advantage of some other offers, but it seems like it's kind of cost prohibitive. It's really for the ultra-wealthy who have nothing else to do with their money. Now, I know some people who went to the Club 33 in Disneyland, and they said it's a great time. It's a really interesting experience, and it's kind of neat to be able to go in there and have that experience. But is it worth it to spend the money to be able to go to it? In Disneyland, because you're in L.A. and you're near Hollywood and there's sort of this thing that's going on where people want to be seen and, you know, the celebrities want to be treated differently. The $33,000 and the $15,000 on top of it, really, you know, it's not a cost prohibitive thing. Yes, it's a wait list to get into it. So there's always a way to get in and it actually works out. And, you know, people want to be seen and they want to be a part of it. The rest of the, rest of the world, I'm not sure if they do. I mean, you know, Disney World, I don't know. I feel it like it has a weird perspective at Disney World. It's just a different sort of animal when you think about Disney World as having a Club 33, because there's not that exclusivity. The thing about Disney World is it's accessible to everyone. So up to you, but that's what Club 33 is. Thanks for the question. Question two from Monica. I'm going on my first solo trip the third week of October. I have a ticket for Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party, and I'm going to be getting an annual pass. Any recommendations on must-do dining reservations or any other things? I enjoy photography, so this is a big part of my trip, and I've never had an annual pass. Any advice? Yeah, you know, that's that's really cool. Congratulations on making your first solo trip. And I've, as I've said in the past, the thing about solo trips is make it special for you. If there is a dining place that you want to go or something you want to do, you should go there. You should make a reservation there. If you don't have a special place in mind, then don't bother with making a reservation. Just go and enjoy yourself and take each day as it comes and kind of take it all in and, and experience it. You might be able to get a dining reservation or get in at a restaurant that you're interested in when you're there. Uh, but, you know, unless you have something in mind that you want to go to, there's plenty of places that are really interesting. When I went for my 50th birthday, one of the things I wanted to do was go to the California Grill. But I didn't want to make plans for it because I wasn't sure what park I was going to be in, what I was going to be doing. So I actually just walked up to the uh, kiosk in the, in the second floor of the Contemporary, and I just asked if they had any uh, seating available. And she said, yeah, you can sit at the bar. And I did, and I had a great time, and I enjoyed myself. It was I thoroughly enjoyed it. Being a solo traveler, sometimes you can kind of slip into different places just because it's just one of you. So it works out sometimes that it, uh, you don't have to have the reservation to go in. So I would play it by ear myself personally, but it's up to you how you choose to take it on. As far as the annual pass, you know, it pays for itself after you go so many days. I think it depends on the pass level itself, but somewhere in that five-day range, it's paid for itself. So 
you want to take advantage of it, but you don't need to spend all your time in, time in the parks. You can do other things too and kind of take in other activities. And since the annual pass offers some discounts on things, for example, some of the dining locations that aren't in the theme parks, even some that are, uh, offer dining discounts. Uh, there's discounts on uh, mini golf. There's discounts on uh, some shopping. So you can take some of that in and enjoy yourself a little bit. Just look at the guy, look at the online site for discounts that are available to annual pass holders and pick a couple of things that maybe you want to do that are not theme park related and kind of make a different adventure for yourself. You know, it's not just about going from place to place. When I go, I typically try to pick two or three attractions that I want to try and do while I'm there. And that's it. Everything else is free form. I let my day go, kind of flow around me, the things that I want to do. And if I'm with my kids, I kind of let them decide what they want to do. And I just help guide them to those things at good times. But otherwise, it's, uh, it's really just about kind of taking my time and exploring and seeing things. And I try to capture those moments where something's happening that's a little bit different. So I'll be walking by and there'll be some um, activity going on. Maybe it's a street performance or it's a show that's going on. And I'm, I'll stop and just watch it for a few minutes because I can you know, because I'm not rushing off to anything. There's nothing I'm trying to do. And if photography is your hobby, then try and look for interesting spots, unusual places to take photos where you can go somewhere and, you know, maybe take something from a different angle rather than taking Cinderella's castle right up Main Street. Maybe take it from an angle or from the side or from down low or somewhere else that somebody else can think of, probably have thought of because it's the most photographed building in the world, but in general, just a different place that you might go uh, to take a picture. Also, I would suggest talk to some of the PhotoPass photographers. They all are using pretty good cameras and they have some tips and ideas for things that maybe are a little different or for some settings that you can use on your camera to actually make it work a little better to get the lighting just right or, or whatever. So be sure and talk to them about that. And I would also encourage you to go ahead because you're getting the annual pass, uh, almost all of them come with a free PhotoPass download. I'd go ahead and make sure that you take advantage of that and let them take some pictures too. So you can kind of compare some of the pictures that you're taking with what they're taking. Make sure you take plenty of pictures of yourself, whatever, just because it's fun, right? And then you have something else to add to your portfolio and really remember the whole, the whole experience, right? It's more than just going and uh, doing, doing the theme parks. You're having a little more fun. You're kind of interacting in some way. And one of my favorite things to do, park hop. It's, it's just, there's something kind of fun about that to be able to leave one park and go to another. You know, challenge yourself to go to at least two. And if you can go to all four one day, it's kind of cool. It's an interesting experience. You know, you kind of pick and choose the things you want to do and go to different experiences along the way. Now, you can only do fast pass pluses in one park at a time. So you might book a couple of fast passes for one park, use those, and then go back in the app and pick fast passes for another park. So you can kind of play around with it a little bit and kind of do things. And the most important piece of advice I'd give you is just enjoy yourself. Just have fun. It's just a fun time going around, interact with cast members and other guests because that's what kind of livens it up a little bit. Otherwise, you're just kind of going through the park and you're kind of, you know, doing whatever. You've heard me. I do podcasts that are live from the park. I'm walking around holding my phone or holding, my, holding an earpiece in and just talking to myself, which to looks totally ridiculous. I get some strange stares when people are walking by, but I don't care because I'm having fun. I'm experiencing it my own way. So there you go. Question three from Terry. I'm looking for some help here. I want to take a trip to Disney World. My dilemma is I have a 16-year-old daughter that I want to come with me and my wife. I can't afford to bring anyone else and have questioned myself if my daughter would have fun at the parks. All her older siblings are adult and gone out of the house. Would it be worth my time and money for her or should I just wait until she's gone? Well, Terry, the obvious answer is take her anyway. Have some fun with it. Look, she's old enough where she can go off on her own a little bit. 
So you have some things that you plan to do together, whatever time you're there, and some other times where you and your wife just go off and do some things and let her go off and have some fun. She's 16. She can do some things. She can be on her own. You know, she'll be in contact with you. She'll find you. You know, you have some set places you're going to meet up, meet up for dinner or something, and you have a reservation somewhere. And you just go ahead and let her go off and have some fun if she wants. Kind of let it, let her lead a little bit. Kind of back to my thing about being solo at Disney. Maybe she'd like to try that for a little while. Maybe she stays with you guys for part of the time and goes off on her own a little bit. There's something kind of fun about that. 16 is a great age to kind of go off on your own. The last time I went with my oldest son, I'm like, you can go off and have some fun. He's like, really? I'm like, yeah, of course, just go. You know, it doesn't matter. And there's something kind of cool about that. And I've done that with my other kids too. You know, just once in a while, let them go and experience something on their own. I don't have to be a part of everything they do. I like to be a part of most things that they do. But once in a while, it's kind of fun to go off. And then I get some time without them and they get some time without me and they get to experience things. The uh, risk at at the Disney parks is fairly minimal. You know, there's not much bad going on. There's lots of security around. Most people are there to have a good time. So, you know, you can kind of let it flow a little bit and uh, let her enjoy herself just a little. Now, will she have fun at Disney? If she's anything like my kids, the answer is yes. Pick the, the one thing that she's interested in, whether it's roller coasters or whether it's getting her face made up, you know, doing something like that or, or buying clothing or shopping or, uh, you know, some dining experience. Maybe she, likes, maybe she likes some fine food and she wants to go to the food and wine festival. Whatever it might be, you might find some things that she might enjoy and you want to focus on those things a little bit. Maybe she, likes, she still likes the Disney princesses and would like to meet some of them. Even though she's 16, maybe she'd like to meet a couple. Maybe not all of them. But if that's the case, then maybe you just take her to, to meet a couple and uh, you kind of enjoy that a little bit. You know, you kind of take that moment for what it's worth. And it's kind of fun. You know, it's just kind of an, an interesting time. You can kind of let her go off a little bit. You can still kind of guide her through, still enjoy yourselves. Uh, maybe for one day you go off to the water parks. She might enjoy that thoroughly. Uh, so maybe you go off to the water parks. Maybe you let her go off to the water park by herself and just play around for a while. And then you meet up with her later. You know, you can kind of pick and choose it. But I, my guess is she would probably enjoy herself. Um, you know, most kids that I know would be happy to go uh, and just kind of enjoy themselves. Yeah, some of them would prefer, some of the kids I know would prefer to go to like Universal or something else, but why not? Why not just let her go and kind of enjoy herself a little bit? Next question is from Gina, and she says, I'm thinking about renting a car while at Disney. Do I need one, and where can I rent one? Okay, so car rentals. The thing about being at Disney World is if you fly into Orlando International Airport and you're staying on Disney property, you take the Magical Express, you will not need a car to do anything on Disney property. You can get everywhere on Disney property by bus or by the minivan service, that's mini as in Minnie Mouse, uh, to get around to anywhere uh, on property. So there's no issues there. Or you can walk, of course, or take the boats or the monorail or any other form of transportation between different destinations. You can get anywhere on their property. No issues. The problem becomes if you want to leave Disney's property and go somewhere else. If you say you want to go to Universal for a day or you want to go to Legoland or you even want to drive to Busch Gardens, which is only an hour and a half-ish away, you need a car to be able to do those things. There are other ways to get there, of course. There are buses and other services that will take you there, but it does make it easier if you um, have a car in those cases. So yes, you might want a car for those types of things if you're going to leave Disney property or if you're staying outside of Disney property for any reason. And you might need a rental car just to get from the, uh, from the airport to the hotel you're staying at and then to easily get from the hotel into the theme parks. The th- one thing is, if you're, even if you're staying at, good, at a good neighbor hotel, they may have free shuttle service that goes to the parks, 
but it's a very limited schedule that it runs. So it'll leave like maybe three times in the morning and come back three times at night. And if you miss it any of those times, you're out of luck and you have to maybe take a, a taxi to get back to where you want to go. So you have to pay attention to the schedules. So a rental car may be helpful to you in those situations. It's really up to you if you think that um, you'd want a rental car or you want to do something else. But you want to think about you know what, what you can do and how you can manage your time and what's the, what's the best for you. Now, the other option you have, of course, is to maybe rent a car at Disney property, go somewhere else off property, and then return the car at Orlando International when you're leaving. So if you decide to do that, there may be other costs associated with it because returning the rental car to a different location sometimes costs you something. Or if you do it the other way and you go from Orlando International to somewhere else and then come to Disney property and want to return the car, same basic problem that they may charge you more because you're returning the car to a different location, you'd have to check with the rental car companies to see. The official car rental company of uh, Disney is Alamo these days, and they do have a rental counter over at the uh, Car Care Center, which is just outside the Magic Kingdom. You can ask for directions how to get there. They will, get, they will direct you to get there. There is a way to, to get to the Car Care Center to be able to get a car uh, if you're going to rent one. Uh, the other car rental companies, the other car rental agencies, do have locations in most of the hotels that are in Lake Buena Vista. So some of them are immediately on property near, down, near what was downtown Disney, now Disney Springs. And some of them are actually like the Swan and the Dolphin. So hotels that are not owned by Disney, often, almost all of them, have rental counters for a car rental company inside the, inside the hotel. And you can rent a car from them. So what you need to do is you need to check with the hotel and see which car company is there. Or check with the car company that you like and put in Lake Buena Vista as the destination and it should give you the rental counters and tell you where it is in which hotel. So then you just need to be able to get over to that hotel. Again, there's bus service pretty much anywhere on Disney property, even to the if you're going to the hotels, say the Best Western or the, um, the Holiday Inn that are over by uh, Disney Springs, you could get, take the bus to the Disney Springs bus stop and then just take the short walk up uh, Hotel Plaza Boulevard and actually get to the, uh, those hotels. Or you take the bus over to the Swan or Dolphin and you know, go to the rental counters there. So you just need to look and see where they're renting from and make a decision about whether that's the right place you want to go to and to rent a car or not. Um, you know, it really comes down to your own decisions about what you think about renting a car, whether you think you actually need it. I would say if you're just staying on Disney property, don't bother, not worth it. You can still get around it really well without it. Um, you're better off in many cases just using a uh, uh, using a minivan service, it's it, I think it's like $25 a trip or something like that if you want to get to one destination. It's a way to get somewhere if it didn't work out another way. So it's it's an option. There is also Uber and Lyft available, though it's more limited availability these days because of the, the way Disney manages their own transportation. But you can get to different places. If you're staying outside of Disney property, it's easier to get and they can take you into Disney property. That's not a problem. They can, you know, that's something they can do. So there's other, there are other options. So you really just kind of need to map out where you want to go, how you want to use the car, what you think you might need it for, and then decide if you want to rent one. And then you'll have to go through the process of figuring out what the cost is and you know, where you're going to return it to and those kinds of things if you think you need it. But I would just start with that. You know, Think about what you want to use it for. You can always contact an authorized Disney travel planner to help you to book the car rental as a part of the package too if you're going to go outside of Disney property for some period of time. But if you're just coming in and you're going to stay at one of the uh, Disney-owned resorts, no need to worry about it. It's very easy, easy to get around. Sometimes you have to wait a little bit, but it's easy to get around. And then finally today, I wanted to talk about the Epcot Food and Wine Festival. It's the funniest thing. 
Over the last week or so, the Food and Wine Festival has come up at least three times in casual conversations among people I know, and once on the radio when I just happened to be listening to some random show and they were talking about the Food and Wine Festival, the hosts were talking about it, for no apparent reason. It's just really funny. It's become one of these very successful product of its own success and you know something really amazing. So the Food and Wine Festival is a uh, one of the top ranked in the country. I was just looking at um, TripAdvisor was rating the uh, 13 best food and wine festivals in the country, and this one ranked in the top five as one of the best in the country. So you know there's something really neat about that. It's it's an, it's something that goes on. It's the longest one certainly because it now it extends from uh, from August all the way into November. It's like 60 days or something of you know great fun with great food. And the way it works is all you need is your Epcot admission and you are at the Food and Wine Festival. There's nothing else required that way. No special ticket required, nothing else you need to do. You just show up with your Epcot uh, admission and you go in. So if you happen to have a multi-day pass, just pick one of the days to go to the Food and Wine Festival. So well, the way they have it set up is there's kiosks all around the World Showcase and then over into Future World a little bit. And the kiosks each have a theme to them. They'll usually be country-oriented by the, by the uh, World Showcase. And then they have other thematic things, you know, like from, fresh from Florida or something from a, a specific type of kitchen. Or maybe it's something that was uh, related to one of the, the shows that's on TV. And they'll have a, a kitchen related to that. And they have food dishes, food items that uh, are appetizer-sized options. They range from about 5 to $7 in that range. And, you know, you could eat maybe three or four of them, and that's a nice meal. Uh, and actually, what I'll do is I'll buy, between over the course of a day, I'll buy maybe five of them, sometimes six, depending on what they are, and I'll, that'll last me for the whole day. So, you know, I've spent $30, I've had some great food, a lot of entertainment. In addition, almost all the kiosks have alcohol. They have either beer, wine, some other specialty liqueur that they're selling as well. And those are a little more pricey than the $5, but not expensive um, so for, the one, for the one drink you're going to get. So you, um, you wind up getting some beer and wine to go along to pair with your food, and you get all these different things. Now, usually the, um, there's a lot of different interesting dishes that are offered throughout the Food and Wine Festival. There's always vegetarian options uh, throughout the festival. There are even some vegan options that they offer. So it really is kind of fun. There's a, a wide range of tastes uh, that they have. You know, some things, uh, some things are all seafood. Some are, some are beef, some are fish, some are pork. You know, it, it, goes, it runs the gamut here. And some are duck and lamb. Uh, but you can really get some different things. And uh, often there's some really interesting dishes that they put out there. So you just have to stay tuned for what the dishes are and decide what kinds of things you'd like. I mean, literally, there are hundreds of dishes to try. So you have to pick and choose some that you might like to try. If you go with a group, it's great because everybody can take a bite of things. You can go up to a kiosk and say, I'll take you know, three things that you have on here and everybody gets a couple of bites of it, of everything. And that way you get to sample a lot more. So there's kind of, that's kind of fun too, to be able to do that and kind of enjoy it, right? Take it in and really uh, enjoy it and have some fun with it. But uh, it's interesting because a lot of people like going to this. Now, personally, I like going a little bit later rather than a little bit earlier because the weather's just a little bit nicer. Once you get into October, it's a little bit nicer than it is in August. So it works a little better for me. Uh, but it's not to say that it's not fun in August. It's still a fun time. It's just a little hotter. But it's a really nice time. You go around and you just you walk up to the kiosk. You make an order. Uh, you, you look at their list of their menu of items. You make an order for whatever items you want. 
and then you go ahead and you just pay for it and you move off to the to the side and you pick it up and you, you could find a little table somewhere to eat it. There are community tables everywhere. Hang out with somebody, sit on a bench, just stand up and eat it, whatever you want. I always wind up interacting with people. I always wind up talking to anybody who's there and just asking what they got, where they're from, blah, blah, blah. It's a fun social experience too. There's also some very specific events that they have, like some different uh, pairing things that they talk about. They have some cooking demonstrations. They have uh, the um, the Chew uh, has been there for the last several years, and they they filmed some live broadcasts from there. Uh, so there's some interesting things going on, and you can pick and choose some of those things you'd like to do as well. Uh, so there's that's kind of fun. And then there's the um, the food and wine concert series that's going on. So there's the concerts going on outside, and uh, different uh, bands come and perform a little bit. So it, it's fun. It's a really fun time. It's well worth doing. I think I've done it every year for the last. I don't know, almost 10 years now. And I had done it some years before that as well. On and off, I hadn't done it consecutively for 10 years. But it's, uh, it's a fun time and it's, uh, it's really entertaining and I highly recommend it. And uh, you know, I, often I'll take one of my kids and they have a good time too because they're just finding something fun to do. And you can still do all the Epcot things that are there. There's nothing, you know, if you want to just avoid the food and wine thing, do, do some Epcot things too. Just kind of enjoy that, enjoy that a little bit rather than just doing all food and wine. So it's kind of fun. It's a, it's a good time. And I just wanted to mention that because, like I said, when it comes up several times in conversation over the course of a week, it's kind of like, hey, that's something I should be talking about because people are interested in it again. And uh, it's coming up soon. It's only, you know, a few weeks away, you know, six, seven weeks away now. So, you know, it's time to uh, get into the Food and Wine Festival. Uh, so you, I would, you know, I highly recommend going if you can make it. It's a really fun time. It's just, you know, it's one of those things that you go to and it's very entertaining, very, you know, very fun just to be out there and just kind of enjoying some, some really good food. Uh, and no matter what kind of food you like, you'll find something. You may only find a limited number of things, but you'll find something that you enjoy. And of course, if you don't find anything you, you enjoy, you can always go to any of the typical restaurants that are there in Epcot and eat something there. Always an option. So you don't have to limit yourself to just the food and wine festival, but I always do. Uh, <laughs> it's just the way it works for me. But anyway, it's, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, I do recommend it highly. There's, uh, I, haven't heard, I haven't seen the list come out yet of all the things that they're going to have at the Food and Wine Festival, but there'll be a number of dishes that we've seen before, things that are you know, popular dishes will be back. Some will make a return from pre- previous engagements. You know, some people love certain things, and they keep coming back every year, uh, the, both the people and the, uh, the food item, because it's, it's so special. But that's something that, uh, that I like to always mention to people. The Food and Wine Festival is a lot of fun. I wound up getting engaged in a conversation with a couple of people about it just because we were standing there and all of a sudden it was like, oh, you know, I got a lot more to say about this because it's the Food and Wine Festival and I happen to know a lot about it. Funny how that goes sometimes. You just wind up uh, being the center of a conversation without even realizing that you're going to be the center of a conversation. I'm like, Disney World, Epcot, Food and Wine, yeah, I'm there. I know what you're talking about and jump right into the conversation. But uh, there you go. Those are my questions that I wanted to answer for this week. And I hope you've enjoyed this conversation about Disney and some of the things that are going on around the uh, Disney parks. And I uh, hope I help provide some insights and some things that you can do. And remember to feel free to send me any questions you might have. It's davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Happy to answer anything you send. Uh, you know, if I don't know the answer, I'll kind of point you in a direction and just say, hey, good luck. But I try and answer questions as uh, accurately as I can. And that's my podcast for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. Now, I wanted to remind you one more time that I've got my Lost and Found Disney series. I'll put a link to it in my show notes page so you can find the link. Uh, it's, over on, um, it's over on YouTube. Um, and it's a lot of fun. I've been kind of looking into the historical perspective of Disney, and I hope you enjoy it. It's a video series that uh, I think is a lot of fun. So there you go. 
I hope you've enjoyed my podcast for this week. And remember, if we can dream it, we can certainly do it. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View podcast. We hope you had a pleasant stay and arrive home safely. Please remain seated until your ride vehicle stops completely. Then, gather your personal belongings and step out onto the moving platform. And yes, I know it went by so quickly, but don't worry. One of the nice things about traveling on this podcast is that the journey is just beginning. Show notes are available on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. While there, please check out some of our affiliates. You'll also find links to Dave's iPhone and iPad apps. There's an app for pin trading, one for finding hidden Mickeys, and an app for finding and tracking pressed pennies around the Walt Disney World Resort. And you never know just what Dave is working on next. If you have questions, feel free to drop Dave an email at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Original music you're hearing in this podcast is Oslo Doom by Gilberto Gil. Of course, this is a fan podcast and in no way affiliated with the Walt Disney Company. 